welcome to Two Two Guys, a podcast about ballet hosted by ballet dancers. My name is Keelan, and today I have on the show a very special guest, returning guest, Maria Selitskaya. How's it going? Hi, Keelan. Thank you very much. It's going very well. So you just had a Swan Lake performance mere hours ago. That's correct. How, how, was, how did the show go? Thank you. I'm still digesting uh, everything that has happened, and it's still sort of sinking in, but... Um from what I felt and from what I received as a feedback, it was a successful performance. That's very like uh, Commander Spock, like <laughs> processing. I've heard it was good. Yes. I mean, you, you kind of don't dare to say, you know, I was amazing, it was fabulous. You know, be careful with what you say. And yeah. I'm happy that I'm happy that it went well, that uh, orchestra musicians were happy and that dancers were happy and that orchestra enjoyed doing making music some of them are writing to me now and and that I I simply didn't do any mistakes that was a big step forward for me growing up as a dancer too it's like dare I ever say that I was good because you could always find something that wasn't good you know so it's always that like yeah I think it was good or I you know I think it was okay a bit cautious we're always a bit cautious maybe to heap any praise on ourselves but you know how it is, you know, you dance the show and it, the public was applauding to you and then a curtain closes and then all the coaches come on stage and they start, the, they say, congratulations. And then a list of corrections comes on, you know, it's yeah. like this. We are all used to it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Rarely, in my experience, is the conductor the star. Like when the, when the curtain comes down, the people who just did the leads usually get a bunch of hugs. If somebody's having a premiere... They get a bunch of hugs, maybe some flowers. Rarely is it the conductor who's the star of the show. How was that last night? Yeah, in fact, I was really embarrassed because, you know, I didn't want to steal the show, but somehow it, it appeared to be that. And, you know, ballet director came on stage, gave me a bouquet of roses. I mean, still with, in front of a public, you know, and I was like, why? You know, I, I felt really embarrassed because, you know, it's about dances, ballet performance. But I think everyone was sort of feeling that they are witnessing. It's not my, these are not my words, but the historical moment, you know, in some way, because mm. there has not been really dancers making it as a conductor. And I think for a small country like Estonia and for Estonian people who are very proud of their little country and their nation, you know, for them, it was, I think, really inspiring to see that one of them you know has made an unusual or extraordinary in their eyes step so they sort of paid me a tribute so also when the curtain went down also lots of people came to congratulate me dancers and coaches and ex-dancers you know my teachers from ballet school you know they all came there yeah I had the feeling that you know I came as a dancer to guest with the company and I uh, danced the show and they all came to congratulate but except that I was wearing a black outfit and I had a baton in my hands. We talked before the show I got you to give me one thing that you weren't <laughs> necessarily loving or you know how was uh how was Brides? It, it went very well I think I have sung that waltz at least 100 times in my head until it really sank in my system and it went well 
And uh, the, the funny thing is that two days ago we had a dress rehearsal and I also had ended up having the same problem in the same very spot. And I was like, that can't, that can't be possibly true. Uh, it needs to be impeccable in performance. And <laughs> I was conducting it yesterday and I saw that the concertmaster, the, the most important person, he was, you know, giving me a wink of a smile and you know, like, that worked fine. And I was like, yes. So there were several tricky moments, uh, in, especially in third act, there are lots of tricky moments and I just worked them through, really, really, really worked them through on my own and yesterday it went well. So I'm, I'm very happy. I'm very happy because it was really important for me to make a good first performance because you know if um, you do some mistakes in rehearsal people are like oh, no, 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 why she made this mistake like this but it's if you do a good performance then they will say okay these were rehearsals it's fine mistakes happen but performance was good and it was important for me to make a very good first performance and it went i, I think for myself i did a good job so for those listening who haven't listened to part one yet i would implore you check out part one. It's a lovely conversation and it sets up a lot of what we're going to talk about here. Um, I spoke to some dancers after the show and I got a bunch of feedback from people and I'd like to share a little bit of that with you now, if that's cool. Yes, I'm curious. The general feedback I got always seemed to have the, the theme of you seem to be really conscious of what the dancers needed. Um, there's the example of in Napoli in the third act mm -hmm. that technically in the score, it's meant to be played quite quickly. Like it says mm -hmm. the tempo is quite quick, but it's maybe too fast to actually do the steps mm -hmm. and that you favored doing it at a tempo that dancers could actually handle. Yeah. So how do you prioritize that in general? If you're approaching a score, do you think of what the dancers need or what the score says? If we are talking about conducting a ballet performance, I definitely will always have dancers' priorities in my mind. They, I mean, they're working so hard and they deserve to be able to demonstrate what they have been working on. And uh, music uh, has a great uh, role in, in allowing dancers to actually perform and, uh, at their best. And um, what I do is that when dancer is asking for something that's I know is unmusical or it just won't it won't work it won't sound good, then I will actually just tell dancer. So if if you know if I need to slow down here and uh, then take it back to a quicker tempo here and there, I will try to make it as musical as I can, make it as a musical breath. But there have been a couple of moments uh, when I told to a soloist or to a principal, listen, we are not doing this because of this, this, this reason. It's not musical, we're not doing it. But if things, what they are asking for are possible to play musically, like with good taste, but it just requires me a bit more attention and some little technical things here and there, then of course, of course I will do it. I mean, um, if I were to perform the same Swan Lake, but without dancers, I would have played entirely different music. Right. Entirely different music. I mean, we all know there are plenty of commercial recordings of ballet music and, you know. Really fast. Uh, sometimes fast, sometimes, you know, slow, but mostly on the faster side. 
yeah, but once you have dancers, uh, public is actually, first of all, coming to see dancers dance and not to listen to the music. If they wanted to have this music in concert setting, then they would have gone somewhere else or bought a CD. Well, no one probably buys CDs these days. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I do sometimes. Uh, nice. Good. But uh, I was looking on stage a lot yesterday and I practically conducted by memory and you know I was dividing my attention between stage and orchestra and I was happy that it worked this way that you know I was not glued to the score and I was not just fighting with an orchestra that orchestra already had gotten used to me and I think I have won their trust so you know right I think I, I could occupy myself more with uh, what was happening on stage and I think it resulted in relatively comfortable performance for all involved. You had said in our last conversation that within the first 20 seconds, you can tell if an orchestra is going to follow the conductor. Would you mm -hmm. say that the orchestra was with you in that 20 seconds? Well, when I was having my first rehearsal, I was struggling. I was struggling and I will still have to analyze why. Maybe it's because of such a long hiatus that, you know, 18 months I was not conducting sure. the full length work, you know, and the unsureness, of course, creeps in and stuff like this. And orchestra, you know, they, they feel it. They, they will, they immediately feel you, you know. But then um, with every next rehearsal, things were getting better. And yesterday I really felt like, you know, I am in charge of what is actually happening. And I think, you know, the musicians, they, uh, could breathe out to give me the position of that who is in charge and they just played and they just followed my indications and it was a really really nice feeling for all involved. Some of the feedback I've gotten uh, has said oh it's great that she's a dancer. I noticed that it's interesting as kind of a theme from the different people I've spoken to speaking of you as a dancer like currently it's almost like as a dance community like as dancers once you are a dancer you're always a dancer so people aren't saying like, oh, it's cool that she was a dancer before. It's that people are saying, it's cool you are a dancer. So you get it. Like, you're still one of us. <laughs> I think it's big, uh, It's a big bonus for me. It means I didn't get too fat in the <laughs> three, three years after the end of my career, you know? I hide my belly fat under big uh, floppy t-shirts and probably I still kind of look like one of them. Uh, not too fat. Right. So I think that's the only re reason why they kind of still address me as a dancing present. Okay, but well, yeah, it's true. It's being, it's being said that once you're a dancer, you're always a dancer. Yeah. Um, I got also the feedback that you were really paying attention to the dancers the whole time. That sometimes it seems like the conductors can maybe be uh, lost in the score or in the orchestra, but that you were really attentive the whole time. Yes, I, uh, that's what I said. I felt yesterday that uh, we have come to our terms with the orchestra and that I didn't have to occupy myself so much with just them. And that's why I had a lot of possibility to just also look on stage and uh, do what was, in my opinion, needed there. Speaking directly to Anna, who danced the lead of Odette Odile, she said I can quote her. So she said she was really impressed by how much you looked at the dancers. So much so even that she finally felt like she was actually in control of her tempos. It was a, a wonderful, liberating feeling. 
And speaking from a Swan perspective, having someone in the room who understands both the role and the music was a huge bonus. And she feels really, really grateful. So if there was one person you're trying to make comfortable, it's probably the lead Swan and you did a fantastic job. So. Because she's poor soul. She's suffering so much. It's such a hard role. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough one. Oh, I don't, I don't miss it. It's tough, but it's only three acts. If you break it down, because the swan isn't really in the first act. So if you break it down in your head into, well, it's only three acts. It's well, give my message to Anna. Maybe she will listen to it. I know that you do the first entrance as a swan and you're already dead. And then somehow there's this waltz of swan, entrance of swans, your cuffs are cramping. And you just start getting a little bit uh, better. And then you have this white adagio to do. And uh, white adagio has just barely started and you already have cramps in your cuffs. And then you have to sing with your body. I know, I know that it's hard. So three acts, but my God, what kind of acts? So yeah. Yeah, I hear that. I just, that's what I would think to myself. Like when I was doing the prints, I'd be like, well, I have four acts. I'm in all uh-huh. four, but you're only in three. So like, you know, let's be real here. But I know her job is definitely harder in Swan Lake. But so speaking of looking at the dancers, this is something I wanted to talk about. I sent you a video and I can post the video, at least the relevant parts of it on the Instagram and people who are listening can just go and check it out there. There were two moments in that that really stood out. And they were kind of like opposite. So that was from my last performance of Swan Lake with the company uh, in 2020. And first off, do you have any immediate feedback? Do you have anything obvious to say? I mean, um, I think that when you start uh, variation in such tempo and with such delay of music, then you're done for the variation, right? I mean, I pulled it. I managed to pull it off. Um, Yes, but uh, this is something I'm always talking about that you can actually kill a dancer within the first right. five seconds of variation. And then no matter what, dancer will feel dead until the end of solo. So I've had so many, like truly so many moments where whether it's orchestra or recorded music, it just goes weird. It just doesn't play the way it's supposed to. It doesn't happen normally. And so it's just learning how to cope, learning how to adjust, right? And mm-hmm. so when that happened, it wasn't like, it wasn't a panic moment because I've been there before, you know? It's like, remember your training. How do you handle this, right? And so I just tried to hold the arabesque longer. But so for those who are listening at home and haven't been able to watch, what we're referring to is I started the variation and the music didn't start. And so I just kind of was dancing. I was moving in silence and I had to then extend, I had to blend the steps in and make them a bit longer to try to get back on the music. And I did it to a varying degree of success. And then at the end, I turned maybe a bit longer than the maestro was expecting. And the music finished before I came down. And so just so you know, I'm not looking to like rag on this guy. I forget the guy's name. We don't need to talk about who the guy is because I don't want to make it about like, let's talk about how yeah, this yeah, guy screwed yeah, up. Yeah, of course not. But I think it's a good opportunity to talk about what the conductor is experiencing in these moments at the beginning and the end of a solo and kind of compare it to what the dancer's feeling. And so mm-hmm. my question is, in the Estonian version of Swan Lake, we finished the Black Swan Pot of the, the part where we dance together and the ballerina walks away and then the male dancer walks to the corner and it's in the music. 
right? There's this kind of lull, seven beats, and then we start. Yes, they uh, used the original version of how Tchaikovsky wrote this transition from Black Adagio. I actually like it in a way like it's cool because it, it makes it all part of the dance. Like you don't stop and then have to reset and you stop and you bow for a little while. And it's nice to catch your breath like that. But I like this version. You just, it's all pulled, to, it's all connected. You know, it's all together. Mm -hmm. But when I started in that particular show, I do arm movement, you know, I prepare and then I step up and usually that's bottom and the variation starts. Mm -hmm. This one, I stepped up and went, oh, there's no music. This is strange. And then I started my glee saw. Okay, the music hasn't started. Okay, now it started. And in reality, it was only a couple seconds. But in your head, when you're dancing, it feels like an eternity, right? Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask, like, when dancers have those moments, and it's, it's very common for the male dancer to finish the pot and then walk around to the corner and get ready. It happens in so many ballets, right? In those moments, we find out who we really are. Mm -hmm. Like it's at those times where you go, okay, whatever's going on, I have to bring the best of what I have today to the stage mm -hmm. on the spot. And so those are big moments. And the conductor and the dancer are very linked in, the, in those moments, right? Like we have a real connection, even though we don't talk about it and we don't even really acknowledge it. You see when it goes off, you see how important our connection actually is. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what does a conductor feel in those moments? What do you feel? Are you nervous? for us, for yourself, for the orchestra? Are you so calm at that point because you've been conducting already for an hour and a half? No, you're not calm. If you see that something is going wrong, you just immediately think, uh, you know, alarm, 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 safe, but, uh, like save the situation. But the thing is that if you conduct um, uh, piano in a normal studio rehearsal, it's just one pianist. And if you were late, like it was in case with you in this video, you are able to fix the situation in about not next two seconds, you know, like next phrase would have caught up with you and it would be not, not much of a big deal. But the problem is that um, with orchestra, it's such a big machine. You cannot possibly just get into new tempo, speed up from like one point to another, unless it has been agreed upon and rehearsed. You know, that here we stop and go three times faster, you know, if it was written. So then that's also the thing that if you see that music was slow, didn't start, dancer is already one phrase ahead of us. Natural reaction is like to start moving faster. But then what's going to happen with an orchestra? One is going to go with you, another will take time to look at you, orchestra will just fall apart. So you need to immediately step on your natural instinct and not start waving hands, but like start speeding the orchestra up. But it's like a heavy train that is, takes a little bit of time to speed up. Right. So, um, I mean, if I had this kind of situation, I would probably sweat. <sighs> and I would not have nice time, just like you out there. How does it generally work though? Like in that, in that case, that was... Um... I got the feedback that he hadn't, he just wasn't looking up. Like he was looking at his notes the whole time or looking at the orchestra, mm -hmm. he was looking down. And so when I started dancing, there was no awareness of that. But in general, how does that usually, like in those moments when somebody, like when a dancer is about to begin their solo. Of course you look up. But let's say last night in Black Swan, before Anna started her variation, she, she walks out in silence, takes her pose. In that moment, what do you feel? Like, are you super nervous? 
No, I'm not nervous. No, no. I just stand. I know exactly. I have practiced myself how I would breathe and how I would start. So I would not make any unnecessary movements. And so I just agreed for her. We agreed with her that we breathe together. And so she can expect the first note to happen when she needs it. And that's it. I just, I'm just very, very concentrated because I should not uh, do anything wrong. Right. Yeah. It's basically just that. But yes, of course, I look. That level of concentration and the quality of it. Would you say it's similar to when you were dancing? Like when you were when you would go out for that role and prepare in Black Swan as a dancer, is it a similar feeling? No, it's not. It's a very different type of concentration because it's purely a mental brain concentration. Because when you're a dancer, when you dance something, you rehearse so much that there are lots of things that just kind of happen on its own. I mean, of course, it's your brain thinking about it, but it happens, you know, automatically. And you, you don't really think, oh, what's the next step? Or you don't think like, what was the next feeling I was feeling? You narrate the story and it kind of just happens, you know? Uh, there are sometimes some moments, you know, if the correction was fresh, you know, but that's it. It's just kind of just goes. Uh, the movement is part of your system. You, you don't think about how you breathe. And you dance in the same way, you know, if you have rehearsed enough. But here, when you're conducting, you just, there are so many variables, you know. Dancer can need suddenly different tempo. Dancer can fall. Whatever, things can go out of sync in orchestra. So you're just always on alert. You're always on standby. It probably can be compared to the firemen, you know, who... Right. are sitting on a standby ready to depart during the entire time they are at work. So it's, it's probably that, you know, if things go well, yes, but if, uh, if things go wrong, I should be the first person who notices yeah. it and I should react accordingly. So it's, it's that level of concentration. My uh, husband to be, he told me yesterday that after the performance, when I came home, that my diction has changed. That you, you must be so tired in your head that you can't pronounce your words correctly. <laughs> I, I, I'm having a hard time understanding you. I, I never had this kind of feedback, but it, it must be coming from that. Yeah. You're just concentrating all the time. Okay, so the mental concentration is probably higher in a different way. And like you said, you're the first responder to anything yeah. that happens on stage. Yeah. And in doing that, you have to be so focused on the stage. And so the way you've been doing it is you, you watch the stage a lot. Like you watch the dancers a lot. This is my privilege as a next dancer. You know, if, if I see that something goes wrong with a dance on stage, I'm able to calculate how I can help with tempo, like within split second, what I can do to help dance to recover. Like Anna, she had a little hop in her foot. And I was like, you know, it's, it happens in split second. Like, what do I need to do with tempo for her just to catch up and just to go and not to be like nervous and not to be tired? So I was like, oh, it needs to be faster. And then, you know, in the next two, three, four days, I just went to a different tempo than the one she started with. I mean, temp it was in any way, I think, comfortable tempo, but it just she happened to like, have this little glitch. And then, and then it went well. She, I, the, the decision, I think, was correct and... She finished her 32 for days. This sounds like a really positive, like synergy between the two artists. You know, you leading the orchestra, paying attention, understanding what a dancer needs. I. This sounds like you're going to have 
especially as you go into your 40s, 50s, and you conduct into your 80s, you've got so much time to grow and like develop. And with your deep knowledge of dancing, it just sounds like it's going to be, there's going to be so many dancers who are thrilled to have you over the course of your conducting career because you can see those little things and you can instinctively know, oh, we got to fix this, smooth this out over the next three bars and, you know, make these adjustments. So in the video I sent you, the last piece that stood out was I, I turned a bit longer than he was expecting and the music finished and I was still on releve. And so I came down in the silence. So I'd like to know also as a conductor in those moments, what is that like for you when you're watching a dancer's solo and you know they're going to finish and you want to take the breath and finish with them? Can you, like you said, it's a, it's a large train. It takes a while to get it moving, to get it faster, but I assume it also takes a little bit, like it takes a while to slow it down, right? You can't just say, oh, everybody, everybody hold because he's having a good turning day. But that, that's the thing that, um, yeah, that's already, we're now coming to this um, deeper level of knowledge of dance, you know? Because when you explain to someone that, you know, dancer needs to land, like so it means the foot, the heel needs to be on the ground on this note and then leap happens on this note. It's like the basic, uh, basic uh, understanding of, of ballet and many conductors, I'm sure uh, they conduct this way, but sometimes the seasoned ballet conductors, you know, they know ballet much deeper. And uh, they will actually re realize at the beginning of the last period in the variation, whether the dancer is going to stay on, its ax on his axis or not. Like, it, it doesn't, if you know what it's about, what the period should look like, you will know from the first turn whether the period will work or not. Right, okay. And then from after the second turn, you will know if it's going to be a seven period, uh, period or is it going to be a, like the regular three, four. Like there is this quality of movement you just know, and um, I don't know whether whether that conductor was not looking or whether he was not knowing that how to distinguish that you were about to stay on your leg. And then if he knew, then he would have been able to make orchestra play broader and to finish together with you right so the orchestra is but, paying but sometimes sometimes there are some things yes i was talking to anna uh, as well at the end of black swan variation she has this piquet then pose dégagé, and then uh, land and i said that that's the thing that we have the three chords in orchestra and what can happen like if you are very well on the leg and you don't dum dum Bum. Then I say, I will lead the orchestra into the second chord. But what we can't do is this. Dum, dum, bum. We can't do this. Right. If uh, the, the, the musicians will recognize the sequence and they will play, it's either bum, 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 or bum, bum, bum. So I said, if you were very well on your leg on, in your piquet, and we went and I waited for you to happen to your degage, but then degage did not work out. And you landed in fourth, then don't immediately finish and we will be behind you. You put your legs and then you wait for me and you end with your arms. So we yeah. will still have it. So I take a I take a chance to explain what can happen and what cannot happen in orchestra according to how I see the situation. And yeah, and Yes, there was no problem. That's really cool that you can explain to the dancers, hey, 
I get what you're going through. Let me explain to you what we need. Like, let me mm-hmm. help you. Let, yeah. what is it like? Help me help you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell okay. you what we need, what we can do. Yeah. And you can play in this space. Yeah. But, you know, we, can't, we cannot expect dancers to be super knowledgeable about music. Some of them are, but most of them are not. Right. Uh, hundred years ago, all the dancers, they were also musicians, you know, they would play instruments and uh, most of dancers are not very experienced in music. So uh, that's, that's why there are these forever talks going on about conflict between dance and the music, you know, and I have come to a conclusion that both sides very often speak about the same thing, but it's just because they speak in their own terms, terminology. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes to misunderstanding, you know. Sometimes dance is faster, faster. So the conductor takes it literally and starts playing faster. But often it just means a different type of breathing in the music and change of tempo won't be so audible. But um, anyway, I'm taking my liberty and I explain to dancers here and there what what can be done, what cannot, and why. And and often they agree. Maybe you can be the child of both who can bring us together, unite the, yeah. the two worlds. I define myself as a bridge between two worlds, yes. Nice. Um, so when we talked last time, when you told your story of how you would spend eight hours a day dancing and then seven hours every night studying and you'd wake up in your books and you couldn't socialize, I was thinking how people who listen at home might feel inspired by your story but then hear that you had to make such a great sacrifice and you had to you know just devote your whole life to it for years and years and you couldn't socialize and and they might think oh, okay well that's cool that she can do that but it doesn't work for me like I still need to be a social creature or you know I can't be working that many hours a day and I was wondering like, because if, if, if anything is going to be inspiring for more than just a moment, you know, like you listen along and you think it's a nice story. But if we feel like, oh, that story doesn't apply to me because I'm different, on some level, I think a part of us can tune out, right? Because the real impact of somebody's story of transformation is to say, if I can do it, you can do it. We can all do mm-hmm. it. Dream mm-hmm. a little bit bigger, you know, be willing to go a bit further. And so my question is, do you think that if you had say, gone at a tempo that was 10% slower, do you think you might have arrived at the same place 10% later? Or do you think that you had to commit at that same level? So to put it into kind of terms we can really understand, tangible terms, you said you didn't really go out for a while, right? You didn't socialize. If you had gone out once every two weeks for a couple hours. No, but I was doing that. You were? I I was definitely doing that, yes. I mean, I can't say that I was... I was, you know, feeling that I was deprived of anything. Okay, so let's just say, I, yeah, do you think I, that- I, I socialized? Yes, uh, it just uh, sometimes when people say like, want to go to see a movie, I would say no, I have my movie in my score, you know, right. stuff like this. Uh, uh, you know, sometimes dancers, especially young ones, you know, who have fled their countries to start jobs somewhere else, or not fled, but like left, they left their countries to stop start working somewhere else ballet company naturally becomes their family so after uh, after a day of work it's natural that most of nights young dancers especially they gather together at one apartment or to another you know they are like a 
flock of birds, you know, who is keeping together to be warm, you know, and of course there are, they're always spending time together at parties and uh, hanging out and TV and uh, whatever, cinema. I, I, I didn't have time to do that. But plus, you know, I was, my active uh, years of studies, they also coincided with me being a mom, single mom. So, and when you're a single mom, uh, when you are just a parent, you're already very much isolated from, from the rest of the world. And when you're a single parent, you're even more isolated. So um, it's, it's normal. I really don't feel that I did anything extraordinarily impossible. And I know plenty dancers who have made their transitions into other careers and very successfully. And do you think that they have, they were less devoted than me? No, it just, my, my case, you know, looks so glorious because, you know, I was a ballet solist and now it's a conductor. They are two naturally quite glorious careers, you know? So they seem very Hollywood-like. Right. But, you know, I know dancers who have become lawyers. I have no, I, one of my classmates is an engineer now, you know? He's constructing machines that make things, you know, he's constructing them. I know of a dancer who is a surgeon now, replacing hips in Swiss clinic, you know, right. stuff like this. Do you think that these kind of people have studied less? No. Yes, they probably left ballet a bit earlier. They actually, you know, some of them had to stop in their 20s uh, to actually study for a long period of time, like this girl who is a surgeon now. So um, just that, but I think no matter what you want to do in this life, if you want to learn it correctly, you will have to give up some part of the entertainment life because life these days is unfortunately very much focused on entertainment and consumption. And I'm, I'm sure you will agree, you know, mm -hmm. advertisement screams, buy this and you'll be truly happy. Oh, you deserve it. Get a new toothpaste. And your teeth will shine. Buy a new lipstick, you'll be irresistible. Stuff like this. Yeah. Consume, 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 consume. So yeah. real values are being very much left in the shadow. And the reason I'm talking about this now because I have a son who keeps begging to buy him new things. And then, you know, I ask like, yeah. why? So it's basically, life is basically a distraction. Distraction from real values. But what the real values are, no one really knows. And in my opinion, real value is uh, finding yourself, but finding yourself comes through, through learning things, through being alone as well and taking time to, to struggle, to struggle from being lonely, to, from str struggle from not knowing what to do in this life, finding what to do and, and so on, so on, so on. So I don't think that my path and my efforts were much different from anyone's path who took something in their life seriously and who and who has achieved something it's just as i said i have the shiny glitter on top of both careers and it's an amazing story because normally one excludes another because yes i have realized now the difference is that both music and ballet you have to start learning when you're a kid and at some point at the teenage uh, you have to uh, choose it's either one or another but you have to learn both of these professions from since you're a kid in order to succeed because you have to succeed and become professional at quite early age so yes it's that i managed to step into another career at quite late age 
But anyone who wants to transition from ballet is totally capable of doing it. And naturally, he, she will have to give up some of uh, joys, perhaps some extra dinners or cinema visits in order to make this transition happen. Unless you have a rich family or a rich husband or a rich wife who will support you once you have stopped your dance career and then you're retraining for three or four or five years and someone will support you. I didn't have this chance, so I had to make it happen at the time of my dancing. So it's, it's that, but I'm no special. And you were a single mother, which I, mm -hmm. I grew up with a single mother. I watched my mom do something similar, which is just go to school and have a job and make money and become a professor and put yep. a kid through ballet school and remarkable, really, really remarkable. I think people are going to love hearing this. Um, last thing, if we can, one last question. I'm wondering your pre-show ritual. What do you do as a conductor to get ready? Like as a dancer, you warm up, listen to music, makeup. You've got a whole kind of like thing. You know, we get into our little space as we go through our rituals, our routines. As a conductor, do you listen to the score in your headphones? Do you listen to oh. rap music to get pumped up? Like, no. what do you do? Do you, you know, how do you get warm as it were? I get very quickly through the score of entire ballet. And I think of every single transition that there is, like end of one piece and beginning of another, like what happens on stage? How do I, do I start? Do they start? What happens? So all the joints of the performance, because things which are happening inside one number, like a waltz or pas de deux, it's kind of okay, but just that every single transition and every tempo change, like drastic tempo change that is there in the piece, I go through. So I refresh it in my mind. So it's, it, yeah, it's basically I'm checking the skeleton of the performance. Do you have like a physical warm up that you do or meditation or breathing exercises? No, no, it's so much, physically, it's so much easier than ballet. But you don't like warm up your one arm, your baton arm? No, no, I, I, I do some like little fluid wrist exercises, you know, so my baton will feel comfortable in the head and the, in the hand and that my movement will be like not edgy in the first few minutes of the performance. So it, it basically that's that, but I don't do any warm up. Sure. All right. Well, thank you so much for the privilege coming on twice has been such a gift. Uh, people are going to love hearing it. I think you are a fascinating person doing fascinating things. And so you. you're going to have a lot of great stories to tell for a long time to come. And I think myself and the audience were really grateful you came on and I just, I wish you all the best. And I look forward to seeing your career progress um, onwards and upwards. Thank you. Yeah. And good luck to you as well with anything what you're going to do. Thank you. And if you're looking yeah. for that third career to add, if astronaut doesn't end up working out, I think you could go into television and speaking at some point because you're a great yeah. speaker. I should become a politician then. Maybe, maybe I will be able to convince people to buy less and, yeah. and deal, deal with real stuff more. I don't know. <laughs> sure, yeah. You can find Maria on Instagram at Maria Selitskaya. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at 22guys. You can message us at 22guyspod at gmail.com. As always, thanks for being here. It was nice getting to know you and thank you very much for having me. Talk to you later. Do you have a sense of belonging anywhere? Dance. Just dance. Dance.